So we would get ready to start for this podcast. Uh, go ahead and, if you want to, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. And um, we are going to start in verse 12. And we're going to continue to just look at um, the passages here concerning the armor. We've looked at a few different aspects when it comes to the beginning of the warfare, if you will, of what it means to be strengthened in the Lord, what it means to stand, um, what it means to, um, I guess, be uh, facing some of the things that the enemy Satan will throw at us uh, to prevent us from standing. We looked at that in the last one. And so today we're going to be looking at the idea of why do we wrestle? Uh, why does Paul describe it as um, we're wrestling um, in this spiritual warfare and not really fighting? Uh, doesn't seem to make a lot of sense uh, until you start really looking at it and understanding um, the language in which Paul uh, is going to be talking about. So uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, For our struggle, or we wrestle, uh, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. And so, um, with this, we're wrestling against spiritual powers. You could even take it to a degree of saying we're wrestling against things that we are unable to tangibly get a hold of which makes this even more difficult to understand. How do you wrestle against something that you can't grapple with, something that you can't get a hold of? Um, When we think of wrestling, you know, my boys love uh, WWE. And so when you think about wrestling, you think about grabbing a hold of somebody and flipping them and throwing them. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. It's not not really that kind of mentality here that Paul's talking about. Um, But... When we look at wrestling, it's hand-to-hand combat. It's strategy to get the upper hand and overpower and overtake an opponent. So, with the warfare that we are facing being in the mind, this is a wrestling match of Satan trying to overtake our thoughts, overtake our mindset, overtake our mentality of being a follower of the Lord and causing us, as we've already said, to get a wrong perspective of God, uh, causing us to devalue ourselves, and causing us to um, pick out the wrong enemy and start wrestling against flesh and blood and fighting against flesh and blood, rather than against the spiritual powers that we have to fight against. Now, this is a more mental and emotional warfare than it is physical. Uh, When Paul's talking about wrestling here, it's not that we physically wrestle against someone, but it's the mental and emotional aspect of it. Now, what I want to look at, and this is something to uh, really keep in mind over the next few podcasts that we're going to be looking at, is the the level that emotions play uh, into this spiritual warfare. Um, One of the things that we're going to see through this is how that the enemy plays on our emotions and uses our emotions. Um, <clears throat> it's one of those things to where when we, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, when we're looking at our emotional state, it's amazing how that our emotions really do play into our decision-making process. When we are uh, happy, when we're joyful, um, 
our decision-making process is completely different than when we're anxious. When we're anxious, we're more cautious. Um, when we're scared, um, that plays into a different role when it comes to our decision-making process. And so what happens is, is our emotions change. The warfare changes. And that's what we have to, to try to keep in mind as we're going to be walking through here. As our emotions change, so does the warfare. Because as our emotions change, the enemy recognizes those things and his strategy changes against us. Now, trusting our emotions and for us to react on our emotions is where we begin to uh, make a lot of the mistakes that uh, come into our spiritual lives. Uh, when we start really acting on the emotions, um, those are the, the difficult and wrong decisions we seem to uh, end up making. Now, why did Paul say that we don't wrestle against others? When he said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, why is that? Here's three things that I believe is why we don't wrestle against each other. Number one, because we, without God, can defeat each other. If I have a fellow brother or sister in Christ and I want to take them on and fight them, I can defeat them by being able to play on their emotions just like the enemy Satan can. I'm able to um, say hurtful things. I'm able to spread lies. I'm able to do things that will cause them to become ineffective, that will hurt them. And I don't need God to hurt others. As the old saying is, hurt people hurt people. Uh, I don't need God to be able to hurt someone else. I need God to prevent me from hurting someone else. Uh, when it comes to Him guarding my language, Him guarding my thoughts, those kind of things. The second one is, is because we use our emotions to wrestle against others and no training, discipline, or principles are needed. When it comes against for, for me to wrestle against someone... Uh, to hurt someone else, it, it's really, as, as the old wrestling saying is, it's no holds barred. I can be able to do anything I want. There's no discipline because when it comes to hurting someone else, I don't need discipline to do that. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's the antithesis of that. It's anti-discipline um, in order to be able to hurt someone. Uh, it's a lack of discipline. And then the third one, wrestling others does not push us to need Jesus more. <clears throat> That's the other thing. When I'm wrestling against spiritual forces and spiritual powers and against Satan, I, I, I am pushed in the direction of Jesus if I'm trying to be a follower of Christ. Uh, I need him more every day in order to be able to wrestle against my enemy. And so when it comes to wrestling against others, we really don't need anything. And that's why it's, it comes across as so easy to hurt someone else because it doesn't take much to do that. <clears throat> and we really don't need Jesus to do that. So when wrestling others, we can do deep mental and emotional and spiritual damage to each other. When we're wrestling against someone and we say hurtful things and we do hurtful things, we can do some serious, <coughs> excuse me, mental, emotional, and spiritual damage. We can cause them to have difficulty when it comes to serving in the church. We can have them uh, have difficulty in relationships with each other. It's amazing how much damage we can do to another person when we wrestle against them and not against spiritual powers. And then here's the thing that I want us to really get from this. Effectively, we end up wrestling ourselves. See, we cast onto others often what we aren't doing or don't like about ourselves. Uh, 
In so doing, the enemy has made us realize or has made us wrestle ourselves or devalue ourselves and hurt others in the process. See, oftentimes we point out in others what we don't like about ourselves. For instance, you know, you, you even go back to um, someone looking at someone and uh, complaining about uh, their their beauty or or whatever it may be. A lot of times it's because we feel insecure about our own beauty. When we point out about someone else's wealth, it's because we wish we had that wealth and we're kind of bothered with the fact that we don't. And so when it comes to the idea of wrestling our uh, someone else effectively ends up wrestling ourselves, when we look at someone else being blessed, we, we're, we're really upset because we're not being blessed. When we look at someone else who is um, seemingly, you know, walking with the Lord, reading their Bible daily and, and going to church, we look at them as someone who, um, you know, in essence is really the opposite of what we're doing. And we, we rag on them for reading their Bible daily because, you know, if they had a schedule like I did, then they would understand it's so hard to read your Bible every day. Well, we don't know what their schedule is, but what we do is we're trying to make excuses for ourselves. And so what we do is we take them on and we take on the things about them that we don't like about ourselves. And it's amazing how that we end up doing Satan's job for him. Now, Satan has two goals for us. Um, and I think these would be really good to write down. They're very simple. I'd even write them down in the front of your Bible. So that way you could be able to keep them with you while you study. The two goals that Satan has for the follower of Christ is number one, make you prideful. What does that mean? He wants you to forget you need Jesus. That's one of the most important things that he wants you to do on a daily basis is make you forget that you need Jesus for everything. He wants you to, and and see, here's where spiritual warfare comes into play, and I want us to get this. Oftentimes, we think spiritual warfare is, well, you know, it's just having a bad day. No, 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 no. Satan wants you to have as good a day as possible. And what I mean by that is he wants you to wake up in the morning, feel good, and be able to go do things and forget you need to read Scripture. Forget that you need to pray. Forget that you need to make sure that you you ask Jesus to guide your day. Forget to pray for people as you come across them. What he wants you to do is he wants you to just go throughout your day and just be you. Be the best you that you can be. And so that way you don't need to ask Jesus for things. You don't need to ask Jesus for guidance. You don't need to do anything. And see, we think about being prideful as I'm just going to walk around with my chest stuck out. Anytime we do anything that we think we don't need Jesus, that's pride. And so even just the simplest things of, you know what, I can make this decision. I don't need to pray about it. That's as much being prideful as any other kind of arrogance that we have. The second thing he wants to do, number one, he wants to make us prideful and forget that we need Jesus. Number two, he wants us to devalue ourselves and make us feel like Jesus doesn't want us. He wants us to devalue ourselves and make us feel like Jesus doesn't want us. If he can make you walk around on a daily basis and make you feel like you're not sufficient and make you feel like Jesus, you know, he's just too busy to hear my prayers. You know, Jesus has just got too much going on to really help me right now. My problems aren't that big. Jesus doesn't care about me much anyway, because if he did, he would have already moved in this situation. He'd already blessed over here. He would have already done this. And if he can cause you to devalue yourself. Now, if you look at this, does this not seem like an oxymoron? 
Number one, he wants you to be prideful. Number two, he wants you to devalue yourself. Doesn't those seem to conflict with each other? Exactly. Because guess what happens? What he wants to do is he wants you to be in an emotional whirlwind. He wants you in one moment to be prideful, to make you think that you don't need Jesus. In the next moment, he wants you to devalue yourself and make you think that Jesus doesn't love you or care about you. Why? Because if he can keep you in this emotional whirlwind, he will eventually get you to the point to where you're so prideful that you won't call out for Jesus anymore. Because what happens is this. He will make you so devalued or make you think you're so devalued that what you do is you think, you know what, if Jesus doesn't care for me or love me, I'm going to do it on my own. And that's his ultimate goal. He wants you to get to the point to where you're so devalued that you think Jesus doesn't love you or Jesus doesn't care about you so much to the point that you say, you know what, I'm tired of praying. I'm tired of waiting on Jesus. I'm tired of waiting on Him to move in my life. I'm tired of asking Him for this and God's not moving. I'm tired of God blessing other people and not blessing me when I'm over here being obedient and He's not doing anything and that guy over there is not really being obedient, but yet God's blessing him so much. And that's where He wants you because then that's where He can just kind of help nudge you a little bit more toward being prideful to where you say, you know what, I'm just going to do this thing on my own. I'm not going to waste my time reading Scripture. I'm not going to waste my time praying. And now you see how sly spiritual warfare can really be. It's not just about having a bad day. It's not just about being in storms all the time. And I think that's where we've messed up so bad. And when I say we, I'm talking about pastors. I'm talking about preachers and teachers who stand up and all we talk about is the storm. We focus so much on the storm being spiritual warfare that we forget that spiritual warfare can take place on a sunny day on the beach. Oftentimes the storm, and, and here's the thing, I want you to get this. Oftentimes the storm actually comes from Jesus. It's not spiritual warfare. Go to Scripture. Go to the passages where Jesus is in the midst of the storm with the disciples. Number one, he comes on the first one, he comes walking to them on the water. And the second one, he's asleep on the boat. We're going to get to these stories in just uh, a few podcasts down the road. But did, did Satan cause those storms? Absolutely not. Jesus sent them into the storm. Jesus went up in the mountain to pray, and he sent the disciples ahead of him, knowing they were going into a storm. See, we give credit to Satan when we need to really be giving credit to God. We oftentimes blame Satan for the storm when it's actually Jesus sending us into the storm so we can see Jesus more clearly. Satan oftentimes attacks us whenever we're sitting on the beach in the middle of a sunny day with little sly emotional and mental tricks. See, what we've done is we believe that the storm, because you know why? The storm seems to be more tumultuous. And so we, we give Satan the credit for that. When really, if we go back, and this is why, why we're doing this common sense Bible study, and we're going to be going into the book of Genesis shortly and the book of Job shortly, oftentimes what we see is Satan is, is really uh, slick with his tricks. He's, he's not coming at you with a big old huge storm. He's coming at you very sly, very sneaky. Now, when it comes to this idea of a demonic army, this idea of spiritual powers that we're fighting against. <clears throat> Paul talks about it. Number one, it's every day for the obedient Christian follower. If you're not in spiritual warfare every single day, something's wrong. Um, you need to make sure that you are <clears throat> uh, 
understanding where you're walking with the Lord. Because if you're truly walking with the Lord, you're going to be in spiritual warfare every single day. Now, the other thing, and I kind of touched on this just a moment ago. This isn't the normal trials we encounter in our lives. This is daily wrestling against temptation, against sin and attack from the enemies. Oftentimes, the, the things that we have in our lives that seem difficult and we call trials are really things that God is doing in our lives to draw us closer to Him um, rather than actual spiritual warfare. The third thing we need to understand is the enemy is relentless. He is absolutely relentless in his attacks. He does not stop. Temptation never stops. Temptation never stops. You can have temptation when you're watching TV. You have temptation when you're scrolling on social media. You have temptation when you're driving down the road. You have temptation when you're just sitting because your mind won't shut off. Temptation is relentless. But here's another thing that's really important, number four. The enemy knows his end. This is also good and also bad. Number one, it's good for us because we know that eventually, when we ultimately get to be with Jesus forever, the enemy will never get to us ever again. However, here comes the scary part. The enemy does know his end, and he is going full tilt, completely relentless, until that end comes. And he is doing no holds barred. Number five, the enemy will do anything and everything within his power to destroy us. This is also a good and bad thing. Number one, he has not got more power than God. The enemy does not have more power than God. So it's not that he can overpower us if we are keeping our trust in God. However, he does have a lot of power. And it's a scary thing when Satan will unleash his power. And number six, we, apart from Jesus, are powerless to defeat the enemy. We can't do anything whatsoever. That's why Paul began again in verse 10, uh, that we have to stand in the strength of the Lord. The scariest enemy is the one that has nothing to lose and takes complete joy in seeing you suffer. I want to say that statement one more time. The scariest enemy is the one who has nothing to lose and takes complete joy in seeing you suffer. That's the enemy that we're against. Satan will do nothing more than his absolute best to take you out. He wants to do everything in his power to take you out. And he has absolutely nothing to lose because he knows his end. And he does truly take full joy in seeing us suffer. So we're going to continue in the rest of this study, looking in verse 13 in our next podcast, and we're going to um, look at some of the armor that we've got. We're going to be looking, what does it mean to withstand in verse 13? You know, we've been told to stand, and now we're told to withstand the attacks of the enemy. Paul says, having done all to stand, stand. So what does that mean? What does it mean to stand after I've done all I can do to stand? And what is the belt of truth? What is the breastplate of righteousness? What are they really? Um, We're going to look at those things uh, in our next podcast. Uh, I think it's going to be something very enjoyable for us to look at. We're going to continue looking at the armor. And then again, uh, as I said, we're going to um, go to the Garden of Eden. And we're going to look at how spiritual warfare uh, is taking place there and how that we can, we can truly learn from the Garden of Eden because that is an everyday lesson that will go on in our lives. 
Um, So I pray that this has been an encouragement to you. I pray that you've been able to deepen and learn a little bit more. I encourage you to continue studying on your own um, and uh, continue to uh, look at uh, what spiritual warfare is. Continue studying Scripture daily. I also want to encourage you that uh, if you're listening to this and you've never been saved, I want to encourage you to um, take a look at uh, your heart. And if you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, if you've never repented of your sins and asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, I encourage you to do that. What it means to become a Christian is not that you uh, get good. It's not that you uh, get rid of doing bad things. What it means is you understand that you are dead in your sins and that you can become alive in Jesus Christ. And that happens when you admit that you're a sinner, you repent of your sins, And you ask Jesus to be Lord of your life. You believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect sinless life, that he died on a cross for your sins and mine. He was buried in the tomb. He rose on the third day. He ascended to the Father, and he's coming back to get us. And if you believe that with your whole heart, uh, and you admit that you're a sinner and repent of your sins and ask Jesus to be Lord of your life, that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. And then from that point on, You have the Holy Spirit dwelling within your heart that will lead you, guide you, and direct you in what it means to be a follower of Christ. So if you have any questions, I encourage you to find a pastor to talk to. Uh, Encourage you to send me a message, and uh, I'll be talking with you and praying with you. Uh, And if you uh, are a believer, I encourage you to go out and share that message with someone else. I encourage you to share the gospel with them. Make sure that you uh, be obedient to fulfilling the Great Commission. We look forward to our next podcast. I pray you've been blessed and have a wonderful day.